0: All right, well, if you got a Bible, we'll turn to Mark chapter 5 tonight. Mark 5, and we're going to look at the first 20 verses. And before we read them, just to kind of give a little, little context there, at the end of Mark chapter 4, I don't know if you all, I'm sure you all know the story. We've heard it many times, but Jesus and the disciples, they have just come through a literal storm at sea, on the Sea of Galilee to confront another type of storm, which is what we're going to read about. But it's a storm that's in a man. And I'm sure, you know, if you think about it, the disciples, they had just been going through a horrific experience out at that sea, thinking they're going to die, screaming. They're terrified of Jesus even at the time. They're probably wiping their brows after they get done with that. And here they pull that boat up on shore. And who comes after them but the gathering demoniac? <laughs> so, you know, Maybe some of you guys were a wild man like he was. I think some of you were. Some of you weren't before you got saved, and maybe some of you still are in some respects. But uh, I think what we'll see tonight in this text, in this passage of Scripture, the gathering demoniac, we're going to look at the working of Satan and the power of God to combat him and the two responses that we can have to that is what we're going to see. So let's read beginning in verse 1, Mark chapter 5. And it says there, And when they came over unto the other side of the sea, unto the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that you torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of that country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding and all the devils besought him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And there were about 2000 and were choked in the sea and they that fed the swine fled And told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship... He that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus allowed him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. So, what's the worst way to deal with the devil you know there's a couple ways you can do it and one way is to be paranoid of him that he's hiding behind every bush he's in every object you have in your house you know the devil's just waiting to pounce on you and and can but I actually think here in America we have kind of an opposite problem and so as a Christian nation I think I see this a lot especially I saw it at school to where they, they tend to take the devil for granted and they don't see things that are to me obviously occult and should be avoided as potential snares to them. And there's a story of a, a Finnish man who was unregenerate and he died and willed his farm to the devil. And the courts, when they got the case, they're deliberating on like, what do we do with this? Because this is like ridiculous. And so they decided that the best way To carry out the wishes of this man was to just permit the farmland to grow up in weeds and briars just to allow the house and barn to remain unpainted and to rot and to do nothing about it permit the soil to just wash away and this the court said the best way to let satan have his this land and this man to have his way is to do nothing and he'll take over and he did take over i mean aaron moved into a house that was like that right (laughs) <laughs> you neglect something and the devil's going to move in and that's what happened there And that's what happens a lot of times But what we want to look at tonight is we want to see the destructive nature of satan and his demons But yet god's power to overcome him and them and most importantly at the end We're going to see the two responses to that And one of the responses is to do nothing That was one of the responses And so we see here in verse 2 chapter 5 verse 2 well we'll start in verse one. It says, They came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the gatherings, and when he was come out of the ship immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, you know, that word unclean, typically to us, we're gonna think it's somebody that needs a bath and that is dirty. But really, it biblically what it means is when something is unclean, and this is a whole study in and of itself, it means it's out of the order or out of the way. God intends things to be that is when they're unclean and you see that a lot in the book of Leviticus and so we can be unclean people can be unclean morally and in a sense physically so sin causes us to be unclean in God's eyes and that's what all the sacrifices were about you had to have a cleansing with the blood and that's what sin will do because we're saying it's, things are not the way God intended them to be and they become unclean. So God didn't intend us men or women to be sexual perverts, liars, thieves, full of hatred, gossip, slander. Things like that are what causes people, men, to be unclean. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's not what comes into your mouth. It's not what you eat that will defile you, but it's what's in your heart that will defile you or make you unclean. And he he lists all the sins, fornication, and on and on and on. But also physically, physically you can be unclean. And so God didn't intend people, and people today in America would take this as a put down, but God didn't intend people to be dwarfs or lame or blind or deaf. And if you want to know one of these sometime sooner I want to teach, that is what the whole Bible is all about because all of those things are caused by sin and Satan and things are twisted and not the way they should be. And so what is the mission of God in the Lord Jesus Christ? What is the ultimate end when you start in Genesis? Things weren't that way. I'm off my topic, but things weren't that way in the garden, were they? They weren't that way. When sin entered in, all the in-between from Genesis to Revelation, man has become twisted and unclean. Things aren't the way they should be. And so what is God's goal? You're not going to see any of that, are you, in the ultimate state of heaven, in God's kingdom. It won't be there. I want to show you something. Uh, If you would turn, put something there in Mark 5 and turn back to Leviticus 21. Something interesting here. Leviticus 21. And beginning in verse 16, and it says, Leviticus twenty-one sixteen, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of thy seed and their generations that has any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that has a blemish, he shall not approach. A blind man or a lame or he that has a flat nose or anything superfluous or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed or a crook-backed, or a dwarf, or that have a blemish in his eye, or be scurvy, or scabbed, or has his stones broken, no man that has a blemish of the seed of Aaron the priest shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He has a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go into the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he has a blemish that he profane not my sanctuaries for I the Lord do sanctify them and Moses told it unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel so the point of that is it's not to put down people they can't help those type of deformities they have but God's trying to show the temple is a type it carries right on through from the garden to the temple that was built right on into it's a perfect cube the same dimensions of a bigger size that we have In the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down there will be nothing that is defiled or unclean that enters in there And that's why God's doing this He is not trying to be harsh to these priests and saying you're not going to come into my presence that way But look what do we have Jesus our Lord Jesus Christ doing? What does he do? He is getting rid of uncleanness through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his mission That's God's goal for his children and his people so Leprosy was an uncleanness in the Old Testament, right? And what is Jesus doing? He's not afraid of that. He's God in the flesh. Puts his hand right on that. No one else would do it. And he's not becoming unclean as a result of that. But here, that leper is restored and back into fellowship with God. That's what Jesus and the Bible is all about: is bringing back restoration, how God intended things to be. So the point I'm trying to say here is. It says this man, though, in this tomb, he has an unclean spirit. Things are not in his life the way God intended them to be. He's inhabited not just by one, but by a legion. So that uncleanness, an unclean spirit, they can cause men to be defiled morally and physically, out of order, not the way God intends them to be. And we have that in Mark 9. And it also in Matthew, it's called, and I believe Luke is where it's called an unclean spirit. I think in Mark 9, Jesus returns that, that dumb and deaf spirit, that epileptic spirit. God didn't intend little boys to be like that, did he? And he called it a foul spirit. And it said when he sent his disciples out, he gave them power over what? All unclean spirits. Now, here's the thing, though. We have that same authority. But, hey, what happened when they came across that epileptic boy? They couldn't do it. And they had done it before. They had cast other unclean spirits out. But this one was a strong one. And so what did he say? This kind here comes out not by prayer and fasting. So there's got to be a little anointing a power, a little desperation there sometimes to deal with things. But how did these unclean spirits come into people? Well, here in America, and I didn't deal with this when we dealt with the spiritual warfare But let's talk about it a little bit tonight. I think there's a lot of open doors. Hopefully it's not happening here in this church. Uh, Brother Hamilton taught on it several times about the occult and opening doors. But that is a way to, to open doors to unclean spirits. So for those of you that were young and maybe not old enough to understand when he taught it, let's just look at three places here. If you would turn to Deuteronomy 18. Because the occult is everywhere in America, and it's packaged in a fun, nice way that seems harmless, like it's entertainment. They'll package it as entertainment, and, you know, your daily horoscope, people don't read the newspaper much anymore, but I'm sure that's packaged on the Internet in some way. The devil's not that stupid, and I'm sure they still sell Ouija boards. I don't know. I had one in my house when I was a kid, didn't know anything about it. But to me, the worst thing that's happened is this Harry Potter series which is being promoted everywhere, public school systems as a way to get kids to read. That's real good. (laughs) Get them bound up. They can read, but they're bound up by the devil having all kinds of problems. But anyways, in Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 9, it says this, There shall not be found among you anyone that makes his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. Now, witchcraft is growing exponentially in America. That's a major problem on TV shows and college campuses. I know that for a fact. Verse 11, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer who is someone that consults the dead, tries to contact the dead. Look what he says in verse 12, for all that do these things, are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. All of those practices are still currently going on in America, and it's no less of an abomination today than it was back then. It's the same. It's an abomination. And so then if you would turn back also to Leviticus, and turn to, actually, we looked at this part of this last week, or recently, in Leviticus 19, I'm not going to look at everything, but uh, just a few verses here. Uh, let's see here. Leviticus 19. Actually, we want to look in verse 31. Uh, he says, "Regard not them that have familiar spirits; neither seek after wizards to be what." So we're talking about being unclean. He says to be defiled by them. He says, "For I am the Lord your God." And then, if you look in Leviticus 20, the next chapter, in verse 6, it says this. And the soul that turns back after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a-whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. And then look in verse 27 of the same chapter. It says, a man also or a woman that has a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones and their blood shall be upon them. So is it serious to be involved in occult activity? I'd say it's pretty serious. And actually, I want to look at a few places also in the Old Testament uh, to see how God dealt with people that got involved with the occult. So if you would turn to 2 Kings 21, please. 2 Kings 21. And this, we also read about Manasseh. I want to reread that. So here's a king that led the people into occult activity. 2 Kings 21, beginning in verse 4, And he, Manasseh, built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his son pass through the fire. He observed times. So he's into astrology and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. And he goes on to say, Because of that, he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Verse 10, And the Lord spake by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh king of Judah has done these abominations, and has done wickedly above all that the Amorites did which were before him, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judah, that whosoever heareth of it, both his ears shall tingle. And the majority of the sins he committed were occult involvement sins, is what was named right there. And then just turn to the next book, 1 Chronicles, if you could turn to 1 Chronicles 10. 1 Chronicles 10 and verses 13 and 14. And this is the case of Saul, who sought a witch that contacted the dead for him. And it says in First Chronicles 10, verse 13, So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. And he inquired not of the Lord. Therefore he, the Lord, slew him and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. And that's what you're doing when you get involved in occult in any sense. Fortune cookies in the restaurants, any any kind of occult activity, uh, or even participating through watching a TV show like those old bewitched ones. I don't know who would watch those. But they even have modern versions of guys that do mental telepathy. All of that stuff is demonic activity. And the reason it's a sin is you're seeking to get information and guidance even horoscopes what you're trying to do is figure out what's going to happen with you or figure out somebody else's personality and what's going on with them by the date they're born if you're trying to get information that it's it's demonic information and you're not seeking god that's what is the sin with all these means and so if you would turn to acts 19 for the last place we'll look at with this and we'll see how they dealt with that in the early church acts 19 Verse 13, it says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, it's evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus and fear fell on them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified and many that believed came and confessed. What did they confess? They confessed that they were involved in magic and occult is what they confessed and showed their deeds in verse 19 many of them also which used curious arts magic brought their books together and burned them before all men and they counted the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver and so mightily grew the word of god and prevailed So, i mean that's what ought to be happening to all the harry potter books i mean they all need to just be put in one big mound and burned would be the best thing that could happen to that and people confessing their sin and being involved in all that but listen it's a very serious thing and so some people think well I got saved I'm filled with the Holy Spirit I've heard this many times if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit I can't be filled with another spirit but listen so you did things I did things before I became a Christian and so some of these things affect people more than others but for myself I just shared my testimony up north but I did a lot of drugs I did listen to a lot of rock music with a lot of occult lyrics in them. black Sabbath was not the best group for me to probably be listening to but that was one of my favorite groups and on top of that so when I'm seeking God I'm seeking truth I got involved in Chinese meditation and I'm you know practicing what this book says to do and I'm taking it seriously I was like I'm gonna seriously do this and I go in my sister's room shut the door nobody's around put my fingers like this they tell you to do that and start going om um and all and I'm just like whatever First day, not much happened. It was kind of boring. Second day, I'm sitting there happening. I feel this something's coming down on me. And I didn't know. I hadn't heard an ounce of teaching. I was a Catholic, a good Catholic boy, (laughs) doing necromancy and doing Chinese meditation, bringing spirits in. But I could tell something was trying to come on me. It was the devil. And it scared me. I mean, but I'd open that door up unwittingly, but I did open that door up and I stopped. I never did that again. I'm like, something happened there. I never told anybody about it at the time. But I'm telling you, that stuff is for real. And we did, Greg and I were involved. We go to this a Catholic retreat, Catholic high school kids retreat. We're doing uh, seances or whatever, trying to contact the dead around the lake we were at, play with the Ouija board. And then, so I'm a, I'm a junior in high school. This is supposed to be my best year of my life and because of all that stuff i was involved in like i said some people it affects more than others uh i've read this book one flew over the cuckoo's nest which has to do with this guy going in a mental hospital i wouldn't recommend anybody watch that movie i mean i was into the whole thing i mean more than just casually reading the book i was into it like read it several times wanted to be the character the main character of the book well next thing you know guess what the devil manifests so i'm I'm trying to get my life right with God, but I'm filled with spirits and I don't understand all this. And these spirits start manifesting. And next thing you know, I am in a mental hospital having no clue what's going on. Tried to commit suicide when I was in there just because my mind's racing a thousand miles a minute. I'm saying the devil's real. And I'll tell you what, I'm in there and all I can say is I read Mark chapter 5. I understand everything that's said there because whether I experienced what said there, I saw people that manifested, he talks about him cutting himself. I saw, I don't know how many people took razor blades and scissors and tried to cut their arms to commit suicide. A girl would take cigarettes and burn herself on purpose because she said it gave her a release. She had a spirit. I didn't know, but I'm watching all this happen. I'm seeing people It talks about this man in Mark five screaming. I heard people scream, demons screaming in young men it literally shook the building i mean the whole building not just where he was at make your hair raise up on your arm people young people having supernatural strength that it takes four or five people to subdue them just like i'm reading it says they break the chain if we don't think this is for real it is for real i'm telling you so what about christians so some people would believe and they sincerely believe that christians can have a spirit but i would say this how much room does it take to have a spirit It doesn't take much because there's no room that they take (laughs) they're not taking any room they're in a different realm than we are and i would say what about peter so we have peter i believe he made a saving confession in matthew 16 thou art the christ the son of the living god but it isn't but a few verses later and guess what he's speaking under the influence of whether he's possessed or not it was the devil speaking through him giving him the words to say influencing him So like it's been said, whether you want to say that spirit's on your shoulder, influencing you or inside of you, the results are the same. You got a problem. And so there you have that. And then the man in 1 Corinthians 5 who committed fornication, what did Paul say about that? He said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to what he says, to deliver such a one. This is a member of the church. He didn't say he wasn't saved. He's just in a bad state. This is a form of chastisement, but to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh flesh that his spirit might be saved. And another case for can a Christian have a spirit, you have the woman in Luke 13 who it said had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. But you know what Jesus said about her? He said she was a daughter of Abraham. That is Old Testament language for she was saved. She was a child of God and yet... She had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. So I'm saying I've seen Christians. I've even had myself after I got saved. I've had an experience one time where where Lisa's like, she could tell something was going on. And and I'd open a door up. It wasn't through sin. It was just I was struggling. I thought I committed the unpardonable sin. And I was oppressed. And it was showing on my face apparently because I finally went and and got away and and I did something with work one night. I didn't tell her what I did. No, actually I went up to my room. Took myself through deliverance because I got some things settled to where I could get it settled and deal with this spirit And I knew I knew I was being oppressed cast that spirit out didn't say a word to my wife and she came out She goes, what did you do? Because it just shows on your face. She could tell that that spirit that oppression had left so if you are having trouble and maybe you've never had teaching on this before It's no point in arguing theology if you're really battling lust and you can't stop and you feel like you just have no control over it It may be that you need deliverance or you have an anger issue where it's just a drop of a hat You're losing it. It may be you need deliverance if you have prayed and fasted and done those things first because it's not just The magic pill to swallow to go through deliverance, right? And I'm saying I know that this lust thing is an issue here so I'm saying, you go get in that internet pornography, as soon as you get into that, and you're doing it, not just a a one-time thing. So, one-time thing, I'm not saying you're going to pick up a spirit, but if you're somebody that is digesting that stuff on a regular basis, I'm telling you right now, you've got a spirit. I'm not saying you're not saved, but you're going to need to have deliverance, more than likely, because you have opened yourself up to problems when you do that. So, if you've been in the past... You're a Christian. I'm not saying there's anything to question that. And you might have done these things. Not, I, I did the things I did. I didn't know I was sinning against God. No one ever told me that. It never dawned on me that, hey, you know, you, <laughs> you do these things and you're in sin and you're opening yourself up to a spirit. It's just what everyone was doing, <laughs> at least people I knew. But say you were involved in horoscopes before you became a Christian, Ouija boards, wart, <clears throat> charming, palm reading. People do that just joking around. It's not funny and you really can pick up spirits, yoga, Chinese meditation like I did, water divining, going to fortune tellers, handwriting analysis, or you read Harry Potter, or what, the list could go on, I can't list everything that's possible, but I think if you start thinking about things that could be potentially demonic, and I'm saying most movies now are filled with demonic things, one time we were on vacation, hasn't been that long ago, the movie we saw was fine, but all the previews, my whole family, and thomas we got our heads down between our knees because we don't want to see all this demonic stuff i mean it's like come on i mean they show that stuff for like a half an hour before they finally get around to your movie that's g-rated and fine you know about the woods (laughs) whatever bugs in the woods but before that they're going to give you all these occult demonic eastern religion things that i'm telling you i'm just saying if you've done those things i personally would take myself through deliverance so it's one thing you can't it's you know you just happen to see something or whatever but when you're fellowshipping with it so to speak that's where the problems come in right we don't have to be spooky about things and spirits aren't going to just fly off of objects onto us it's not like that but i'd say if you are feel compelled to do something and you just feel like i just really don't have any power over this you know you're spirit filled you know and you're willing to crucify your flesh you've prayed and fasted about whatever this is and it's just got a hold on you it just very well may be you don't necessarily i'd be glad to pray for you but if you're In your proper senses, you can pray for yourself and command the devil to leave, and it will work. We'll see tonight. The Lord Jesus Christ has power as strong as these spirits are, as strong as these spirits were with this man. The Lord Jesus Christ, there's no contest there when he comes on the scene. So let's go back to Mark 5, please, in verses 3 to 5. So look at the condition of this guy. I kind of talked about it. Verse 3, it said he had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. Shackles and chains, that's what fetters are. And the chains have been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces and neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. So he's dwelling among the tombs. And Luke tells us that's not where he grew up. He didn't grow up in the graveyard because Luke tells us this man grew up in the city. He grew up in Louisville, but yet now he's out. He's out in the whatever graveyard you want to talk about. Now his home is in burial caves. And it says he wore no clothes. Doesn't have any clothes on. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Nobody was strong enough. No chain was strong enough. No shackle was strong enough. And what we're seeing here, human efforts can do nothing. Isn't that the principle we're getting out of this? Somebody that's demon-possessed, human efforts, that's what this all represents, are nothing to the devil. They're not going to work. Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, it says in verse four, and the chains just were plucked asunder by him like they were nothing. The fetters just broken in, in pieces and neither could any man tame him. It's supernatural strength. Just like we read about in Acts 19. This is no ordinary strength that we're seeing here. You know, cause it talked about in Acts 19, they leaped on that man, overcame them. And what did it do? It sent them away naked and wounded that spirit did back in, in Acts 19. In Matthew 28, it talks about two men coming out of the tombs, not just one. We have one here in Mark, but it's said about those guys, both of them, they were exceeding fierce. Now I guarantee you people took the long way around to have to see those characters coming out, right? Coming out running at you looking exceeding fierce. I mean, you're not going to take your kids for a walk on that route. You're going to go the other way, right? Cuz I'm sure it was a very scary sight. And it says in in Matthew 28 coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass. Those guys are probably going to try to attack you, those spirits and those men, is how it would have been. But it said that spirit, when it would come, it would just seize and take hold of this man. And that's what the devil will do, forcibly, seized by that unclean spirit. And that's why in 2 Timothy we're taught, If we know somebody snared by the devil, here's how we should deal with them gently. And in meekness, it says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive. They're seized by him at his will. Because if you're outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have any authority over him. And if you've opened the door in your life, that's what they can do to you. You're kind of at their mercy. Neither could any man tame him. And in Luke 8, it says he was kept under guard. He was basically, they treated this man and this other, the both of them, they treated him like an animal because that word for tame means to tame a wild beast. So you got two wild, untamable things happening right here at the end of Mark 4 and at the beginning of Mark 5. You got this storm at sea that no man can tame, right? It takes the power of God or it's going to destroy everybody in that boat. And it's the same with this man here. No man can tame this man. There's only one power and person that could tame this man. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. So we read there that it says night and day. You know, that's the way those demonic spirits, believe me, I'm telling you, I've experienced it. They will give you no rest. Night and day, he is crying. I told you, this guy, boy, up in Cleveland screaming, and I'm sitting, I'm clear down the hall from this guy, and I can hear this scream through these ductworks like he's sitting right next to me. When I was up at his high edges, like I said, it made the hair raise in my arms. And it said he cut himself. So what we have here at this point is, this is a picture of human wretchedness. We're talking about, this is what the devil can do to human beings. He's doing it here in our town with this heroin epidemic. That's a a strong spirit manifesting there, ruining lives, taking them captive at his will. There is only one power that's going to overcome that, it's not going to be some man we're going to tame him through our wisdom. It's going to be the power of God. So we have a picture here of night and days with no rest. And the Bible says there is no rest for the wicked. He's unclean and he's living in an unclean area. Death was considered unclean, a death, death-filled residence. And he's lonely. So he's come from the city. And we know, we'll see at the end, he goes back to who? He's got family and friends. He's got people just like here people that care about him but where's he at he's not amongst any of his family friends people in the city he's up there by himself the devil's driven him up there that's where he's at like i said it's a picture of human wretchedness and continually crying what's he crying probably crying in anger maybe crying for help i don't know what would you be crying out of your soul I, you know he's tormented but that's what's that's what's going on here and maybe that describes your past It does mine in a literal way to some degree, a a period of my life. But look how Jesus deals with the devils in this man. And and that's what happens in verses 6 to 13. When he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped, cried with a loud voice, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God, that you torment me not? For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit, and asked him, What is your name? And he answered, My name is Legion, we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of that country. Now there was nigh under the mountain a great herd of swine feeding and all the devils besought him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And then Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and they, the 2000 of them were choked in the sea. So what's going on here with all of this? You know, part of this is God is ordained That this man is going to be delivered on this day from his condition, from these spirits. That's what's going to happen. But do you know what else is? If you go back a few chapters in Mark, it talks in there. It's an interesting. I like to teach through the book of Mark sometime. But in chapter 2, he goes up into the mountain and prays, and he calls 12 disciples specifically to be with him. Now, there was more disciples than that that followed him, but these guys were going to be with him at all time. And he called them specifically, it says that they might be with him. Why? So they could learn how to minister. So you've got 12 instead of just one once he's raised from the dead, going out teaching that many more. A bunch of little Jesus is going out to minister. So he's having all this happen so they can learn. They're learning through this. They're learning what authority, because when they see what he did and he says, I'm giving you that same authority I have by having my name. We realize, don't we, that we have no authority in and of ourselves. It's like a policeman. When he's off duty, he's got no authority. He puts that uniform on and the whole state of Kentucky backs everything he says. And you better obey him or you're going to have eventually the whole state of Kentucky surrounding your house and you'll be dead. Right? (laughs) So it's the same with us and the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have any authority in and of ourselves against the devil, do we? But when he's given us authority, which he did then, and he has given us authority, right? We've got his authority, and they see how he's operating against these demons, and it's a training session. That's what's going on here because he doesn't send them out. We're in Mark 5. He doesn't send them out until Mark 6 and 7, and right now they're watching. They're just observing all this happening when we're observing it through the word. So what do we have here? This guy's fierce, and he's filled with demons, but it says when he sees Jesus afar off, he ran because he's wanting help god's put it in his heart here is your help here's your deliverer come and he ran down and worshiped him here's jesus has come to help him and what's funny is in verse seven i think this is ironic that those devils at the end of verse seven they say i abjure thee by god they're begging jesus that you torment me not what have they been doing to this man tormenting him and they're pleading somehow for mercy, like they've shown any. I guarantee you, they didn't show any mercy to this man. And they asked Jesus, Oh, please torment us not. <laughs> I mean, I just think that's an ironic statement. So he says, What was he say? here? Say? He says, Come out of him, and then he asked for who is the doorkeeper, and who was the doorkeeper of these spirits? It's Legion, and he's speaking for the group. I am Legion singular, and we are many. Because like we talked back, there's a hierarchy here, isn't there? He's the doorkeeper. These other spirits, he's got authority over them. There's a hierarchy here in Satan's kingdom that we're seeing. And I'll tell you, I've seen in people I know well, nobody that's in here, but I've seen through that a spirit of fear is a very strong spirit that is a doorkeeper for other spirits. I've seen it happen. And until that one gets dealt with, the other ones aren't going to go. But this whole thing about Legion, as a man said, it's a chilling reminder when he says that of the number, the power, and the intention of these demons. So here we have, what we're seeing here is the evil forces of this storm. In the chapter previous to that, they were strong enough that they were going to capsize those boats and kill all those people, right? And right here we have demons that are strong enough to break any metal chain, iron chains, put on them and they come at Jesus here they are imagine that you're getting out of the boat and here's this crazy guy the disciple like I said they gotta be like what is going on here we just got through dealing with this storm at sea and seeing Jesus calm that wow things are finally calm and here they get out of that boat and then here comes this demonic man rushing at them. and I'm they're probably thinking man this is not the place to bring the family for vacation you know I mean that's kinda what they're looking at here (laughs) Anyways, this man, like I said, he has no rest. But these spirits, here's where we see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ because it says in here that they besought him much. Besought him earnestly in verse 10. Look, it says, and they besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. So we see here a principle. If you're going through any kind of demonic activity, spirits are attacking your mind in any way or your spirit, you're not at their mercy. They are at the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not dictating where they go. They are begging him not to send them out of the country, but to send them into the swine. And he says, all right, go into the 2,000. Go into them. And what do they do immediately? They drown them in the sea. But at the end here, for the rest of this 14 through 20, we're going to see the responses to the deliverance of the demoniac, right? Because it says, and they that fed the swine. They fled when all that happened, when those 2,000 choked in the sea. And it was told in the city and in the country, they weren't around telling everybody what, what happened. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't it funny? At the storm at sea, when his power is demonstrated, what was the disciples' response? The same as it was here, when his powers demonstrated here, at the end of both accounts, the people are afraid of Jesus. In fact, they are more afraid of Jesus than they are of the demoniac. God has come, and they are more afraid of him. You know, so some people think, hey, Jesus was wrong to destroy those pigs. You know, all the animal lovers today, they're like, hey, that wasn't the right thing to do. But here's the thing. If those swine were owned by Jews, it was against the law. And if that was Gentiles that owned these swine, they're bringing them in on Jewish territory. That wasn't exactly a compliment. And so what happens here in verse 15, these people, they take a look at Jesus. And then it says they're taking a look at the former demoniac because guess what? There isn't anything to look at anymore. All the swine are down at the bottom of the sea. There's no more pigs to look at. So they're looking at Jesus. They're looking at their demoniac and they're sizing up the situation and you know what decision they come to they're saying hey our money means more to us than freedom from sin because two thousand pigs would have been worth a whole lot of money and this guy's coming in here and he's messing with our living just to help this one guy out and i'll tell you there is a lot of people that don't want to give up their sin they don't like the oppression they're having but they don't want to give up that sin to be free. So what was the purpose of Jesus? Was he out to try to destroy things? No, it's just the opposite of that. He came to set the captives free. And he's showing the value of a human life. One life is worth a whole lot more than 2,000 pigs is what he's telling us here, isn't he? Well, like I said, people, they just don't want to give up their sin and unbelief to get what God promises. And that's, if you would just quickly turn over to John 3, that's what we see here. John 3. So we all know John 3, 16, and we'll start there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God sent his son into the world, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but why? That the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And isn't that what we have going on here? Isn't there a lot of people? Light has come. Light came to these people that lived in this area. They're saying, here's the power of God. He'll deliver you from whatever problem you have, the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, now they said, we like our sin more than we, and they asked him to leave. That's unbelievable, isn't it? They'd rather stay in their sin, but that happens all the time. Go in prison, here's guys bound. I say, God can deliver you from this lust and all this pornography and all the condemnation that comes with it. And literally, I've had him say, when I walk away, man, I'm not giving up my porn. I'll tell other prisoners, I don't care what that guy says. I'm not giving up my pornography. And I'll try to say, hey, let me tell you my testimony. God delivers you from that. It is true freedom. You're not bound by that stuff anymore. It's an unclean spirit. Again, God didn't intend us to be that way, did he? No, but they want to hold on to their sin and they're miserable about it. A lot of people are, you name it. But that's the problem because what's happening, these people are saying, hey, this is what it costs for this guy to be free. It cost us 2000 pigs. What more might this man require? What else is he going to ask us to give up? And he would have asked them to give up what? Everything to follow him. But then they would have had true freedom. And That's the way it works. So a lot of people, like I said, they don't want deliverance because they want to keep the sin that's associated with that unclean spirit. Well, anyways, so what I want to see here is that God will set us free. Here we're seeing the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll set us free from any unclean spirit. But here's the deal. You've got to be desperate and want to be delivered, whether it's deliverance or healing or whatever it is, however the devil has you bound. This man was desperate. His situation was bad. He, He had hit the bottom of the barrel because if you love your sin, Jesus can't help you. He can't help you as much as he may want to. And I'd say just ask God to show you the destructive nature of whatever sin has you bound. Let him see the destructive nature of it. Because it says this man is clothed and in his right mind, and that clothing, putting clothes on, is a picture of wellness. <laughs> and being naked is a picture of being unclean. And so what does that tell us about the way people dress in our society? I think we have a lot of unclean spirits running around, boys and girls. There's something not right there, not being dressed right, right? But here's the thing, the demonic hack... Had a lot of friends and a lot of... So what does the Lord tell him back in Mark 5? He says this, verse 18. When he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devils prayed him that he might be with him, howbeit Jesus allowed him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And it says... All men did marvel. And that's the way it ought to be. When the Lord Jesus Christ delivers you, you should want to be with him. But instead, he says, I've got a mission for you. And this is a mission for everyone in here that has come to salvation, that has had that transformation take place. It might not be as dramatic as that, but we all have a story. And his word to you is the same as it is to this former gathering demoniac. Tell them how great things Not that you did, not how you changed yourself, but what the Lord has done for you. Because look at the contrast of this man at the beginning. I mean, man, they go into great detail about cutting himself, breaking chains, crying out, dwelling in the tombs. Look at the contrast from the beginning, and then you come to the end, and here it says, here is this man clothed, sitting clothed, peaceful, and in his right mind. I mean, God has done a great transformation. He's done a great work in this person, and he can't wait to tell it. I don't know how many of you have ever seen, there's a a video you can see out there, you want to talk about transformation, you want to talk about the heroin addicts, but Jackie Pullinger went over to Hong Kong, or whatever it was, and these guys are hardcore, bad countenance heroin addicts. Okay, and she tells them, I'm going to pray for you, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't go through withdrawals. You'll speak in tongues, God will set you free. And that's what happened, is it not? I know Jake's seen it, and you can watch it on YouTube for free. Well, what, what amazes me, and I showed this prison. what amazes me at the end is, here's this guy sharing his testimony. He's talking about how evil he was, and they were evil. And then all of a sudden, he breaks out singing. Uh, it's one of the praise songs we sing here. His whole face just lights up. they can't wait to tell they are in love with the lord jesus christ they're like this gathering demoniac they realize what utter bondage they were in and god through the power of his holy spirit which is what's happening here that's the way the lord jesus operated he operated just like we do dependent on the holy spirit of god but their faces just light up with joy and you tell me that is not i mean they were a testimony not only to other drug addicts but the lawyers the businessmen Everywhere around there, they knew what was going on over in that walled city. It was a bad place with dark people, and it was a dark place to live in. But light came in there, and these people were transformed. I'm telling you, I pray God gives it to me. I'm saying a joyful countenance is the best evangelistic tool there is. That's what worked on me. There is a sister up north, I won't name who it was. I told my wife, I said, that sister has just got the most naturally bright, joyful countenance at all times of anybody I could hardly remember, just always, and it's not something she's working up, she's not smiling just to be smiling, it's just there, always positive things to say, letting you know she's praying about this, I mean, I'm telling you, it's like, that's what you want to be around, and that's, I pray God that happens for me, because personally, that's what drew me to Christianity as a young man, I didn't, know anything about theology didn't absolutely didn't care about theology but i knew i was miserable i'd watch billy graham and i'd be around other people that were true born again christians the one thing i knew is they had a peace and joy that i didn't know anything about and i knew that those people could die and unlike me they were going to heaven because i knew where i was going amen and that's what we should have and that's what happens when the lord jesus christ does something for you a marvelous work it should just show on your face, and it will. So anyways, I think somebody that is the best evangelist is people that are so thankful for what God has done for them. So Jesus leaves a storm at sea and comes to a raging storm in a man. And that was us. At least that was me. I could say that was me. And he has, what does he say? Say what great things the Lord has done for you and has had mercy on you. He didn't deserve it. None of us deserve it. But that's what he said. He's the only one who could help that man. That's what we need to see. Nobody else, no other power could help that. No man could tame him. Only the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. So how are we going to respond to us tonight? Do we want him to just leave us alone? Or do we want him to come in and manifest his power in his church? Because Lord knows we we have great needs here, don't we? We really do. But I'm saying, I'll tell you this right now. If the Bible isn't true, and if we seek God sincerely with all of our hearts, with whatever that takes, and I believe that includes fasting, and we need to be desperate, and someone's going to say, we're doing all of that, and we're seeking Him, and we've got desperate situations, and He somehow isn't going to respond. I'm saying, if that's true, and we have to live with situations that are upside down, they're unclean, they're not the way God meant them to be, I literally will quit preaching and I would walk away from Christianity because what's it worth? I mean, I didn't, I didn't join a faith message. The, the thing for me was, I'm hearing, this is somebody that's saying, when I heard this faith message, I didn't care about the faith message. I didn't care about, oh, this is somehow a way I'm going to get a house or the gifts opera. I didn't care about any of that, but I'm saying here's somebody that says God will literally do what I read in this New Testament and in this Bible, that he is the living God that will perform miracles. And I'm saying, if it's not working, it's not his problem. He's just as willing now as he has ever been. It's us because I'm trusting that God will show himself strong on our behalf in all the different needs we have. But I'm telling you, faith is still defined by forsaking all. I trust him. That is what will work. It hasn't changed. And the faith of the Bible are people that's saying, the, like that Gadarene demoniac, nothing else was going to help him. He'd given it all up. And if you ever get, go through the rest of the chapter, the woman with the issue of blood, for 12 years, she tried everything else. Nothing was working. Spent all she had, and She's broke. She's down to Jesus only. And is that that bad? It's not that bad. Because guess what? She got healed. Because forsaking all, she she tried all. It's all behind her now. It's either the Lord or nothing. And I'm telling you, God is faithful. He will not fail. Every one of his promises comes true if our hearts are true. That's what the Bible says. And I believe that. I do. Amen? I know you guys do too. (laughs) We can trust him with all of our hearts. He'll never let us down. Amen. Praise God. I like to say more, but we'll stop right there. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray if there's anyone here that is just trusting you to be delivered from any type of demonic oppression, that they can just see no matter how strong that oppression seems to be, that the Lord Jesus Christ is can overpower any power of the enemy. He can set anyone free from any oppression. If we just look to him and trust him and are willing to give up whatever sin is in our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ will deliver anyone from anything. His power is beyond any power that we could even imagine. I just ask, Father, that you'll clearly show us that, and you'll clearly show us that we can minister to others in the authority and in the power of his name We can minister to them and see them set free by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just thank you for that truth that's there in your word, that truth that can set us free and will set us free. And I just ask you'll make that real to all of us here tonight. And I just pray that in Jesus name. Amen.